Well, happy Easter. Our passage this morning is from Romans 6. We will look at verses 1 through 11. And when considering a passage, it's very, uh, I think, tempting, if not normal, to want to preach one of the gospel passages. We will look at the end of Matthew briefly in our time this morning. And I want, I want to just say from the beginning that when I thought about, this is my second Easter. By the way, I started, I don't know if you know this, the Sunday after Easter. So I'm really close to my second anniversary. I'm getting really excited. Every Easter I can remember Bonnie's communion and, and my beginning time here at Grace. So if you ever fire me, you'll totally ruin that. What I wanted to preach on this morning is not, it, a lot of you, I, I want to just be honest, we know this to be true. Here's the elephant in the room. A lot of people come to church on Easter that might not be Christians. Let's not play the game, we, we understand that. For you all, I want you to know I'm preaching to those that are Christians. Because my concern, though I want non-Christians to believe in Jesus, a large part of my concern is that a lot of Christians also aren't walking in the newness of the resurrection. And so Romans 6 picks up on that theme and is helping us to understand what would it look like for Christians to actually believe what we say we believe, the resurrection. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Paul in Romans 5 has been talking about the beauty of the gospel of grace and how big it is. And in 6, he's transitioning to what that looks like for Christians to live a resurrected life. So here now, verses 1 through 11 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to, he died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, on Easter and prayerfully all the time, we think of the resurrection and we praise you for pursuing your own people, for loving us, for, for rescuing us. And Jesus, we give you praise that you came to earth, that you lived a perfectly righteous life and you died a death to atone for our sin and to give us new life. And Holy Spirit, we praise you that you've applied this to our hearts uh, through Union with Christ, something that I pray would become clearer to myself and clearer to all of us this morning. What does it mean that we are in you, Christ? Would you help us understand Holy Spirit and walk closer with you? In your name we pray. Amen. 
it was reading Matthew. In fact, it was last night reading uh, Matthew 28 with our children and just thinking about the crucifixion and also the resurrection. And it, it's interesting the way it unfolds in Matthew that after the, after the crucifixion, that wasn't good enough for the Jewish leaders. They decided that they remembered Jesus saying he would rise on the third day, and they did not want his, they didn't believe any of this, so they didn't want his uh, followers to come and take him and you know, kidnap the body. So they, they asked Pilate to put a guard, a group of men, uh, Roman soldiers, to guard the tomb. And, they, and Pilate agreed. And then in chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, we see that the stone is removed, an angel shows up like lightning, it's a, there's an earthquake, and, and all of the guards uh, saw this happen, and they, and they trembled and were in a way paralyzed. They were just shocked. And, and the tomb was open, and Jesus ar- rises from the dead. So it's fitting. I can talk about this. This is Easter. He's, uh, we believe this. It's amazing. And then, here's the most, to me, what's crazy about this report, is that those soldiers believed it, they go to the Jewish leadership and they tell them. And do you know what the Jewish, the religious people did? Do you think they said, wait a minute, it was all true? Right? It was all true. We're going to follow Jesus. No. They gave them hush money and they said, let's start spreading a rumor that he was kidnapped actually instead. And here's why I open with that story. I think most of us have this mindset. Either you believe in the resurrection and you follow Christ, or you don't believe in the resurrection and you don't follow Christ. But what that story shows is it's very possible to completely believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead and to be completely indifferent. To even be angry about it. Here are the Jewish leaders being told by Roman Gentile pagans, right? This really happened. And they say, well, we need to take care of this. We need to stop this rumor. And my concern, and I think Paul's concern in Romans 6, is that in our old self, which we're going to talk about, what does it mean to have the old self, the flesh? It's very easy as Christians, as religious people, to find ourselves living as if the resurrection has no impact on our lives. But because, as Paul reminds us, the resurrection is true, Christians, we have been given a new nature. And that nature is accessed by faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The new nature. We're going to start with what is the old nature. Yay. And then we're going to talk about the new nature. And then we're going to talk about accessing that nature by faith. Now, Paul calls the old nature the old self or the old man. What is that? Um, it's an interesting terminology. And back in chapter 5, he has, he's making this argument for how grace comes to us through Christ. But he talks about Adam. In fact, in, in Romans 5, he calls Jesus the second Adam. That might be an unusual term. And the reason he does that is because the first Adam is what the Bible teaches us we, is where we became the, the recipients of original sin. So we have to talk about the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve were righteous. They were perfect until they sinned. And do you remember the lie of Satan? Satan whispers to Eve, that this, this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is being withheld from them. That God who loves them really doesn't love them. And he's really not after their good. And Satan doesn't say, if you eat this fruit, you can follow me. Another kingdom. No. He just simply says, within yourself, you will." Have, he didn't say it like this, but this is the idea, you will have the knowledge 
of sin, and you'll have all the knowledge that God's withholding from you. And if you follow this path, you will find real life. Certainly, you're not going to die. Well, they eat the fruit. And I remember thinking, well, why didn't they just die? Have you ever thought that? They were told they would die. Why didn't they just die? There's a scene in Fletch where uh, Fletch is dressed up like a doctor. If you've seen this movie, Chevy Chase comedy. And he, he's trying to get information on a, on a person that's passed away. And he goes up to the real doctor and he says, it's, so I guess it's sad how he died so suddenly. And the other doctor said, well, no, he'd, he'd been dying for years. He said, well, no, no, I mean since he came in the hospital, it was suddenly. No, no, he'd been in the hospital for, for weeks. And uh, he'd been... No, I mean, the very, very end was really sudden. The very, very end, right? And, and it's humorous because, of course, at the very end, it's sudden. But all of our lives, if we're honest, are built on dying. Isn't that encouraging on an Easter Sunday? I mean, we you turn on the news every day. This bomb went off. This person died. There was this horrible accident. We all know it, right? We all just know this is possible. But the death that Adam suffered was not that final sudden death that we're talking about. It was a separation from God. And it, what, what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden was they saw that they were naked and ashamed. For the first time, you know, can you imagine just all of a sudden going, whoa, I'm naked, you're naked, whoa. And they start covering themselves. They felt, and it was, it's interesting, they didn't just feel naked. That's bad enough, right? None of us want to imagine that. They were ashamed. What does that mean? They felt wrong. They felt dirty. They felt incomplete. And so the, I think the essence of what it means to be in the flesh is to be living apart from God, trying to cover yourself because you know it's not working. What are you doing to make yourself complete? And what, why, the reason I want to start there is a lot of times, I think when we think of what, what is the old self, what is the old nature, what is sin, we think of the technicolored stuff that we're all ashamed of, right? Things that could end up in the newspaper if it were found out. You know, the front page, oh no, they found that out. What we forget is that even our righteous acts, even the things we're proud of, are so often done to cover ourselves, right? Think of why you do the things you do. Think about the things you're exceptional at. Maybe you're really great at giving gifts. But how do you feel if someone doesn't write that thank you note? Right? Do you just get upset? Right? Or any other thing, what other things do you do to, to kind of feel good about yourself if it's not reciprocated with the, the planned response? How does that make you feel? Are you doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it for the glory of God? And the reality is, most of us in our nature, even our righteous behavior is done because we get rewards for it. Right? People give us accolades, people like us better, and here, here's, the, here's the key, it covers us. It keeps us from feeling ashamed, at least for the moment, right? I've, I've talked a lot about my feeling of I've got to be on time places. Why do I have to be on time? Because when I'm late, I feel naked and ashamed. I've, I've got to give excuses. Well, I would have been here on time, but, you know, traffic and, right? Why do I feel that way? Because somehow I've attached some sort of righteousness to this behavior and when that is removed, I feel ashamed. And the reason I feel ashamed is without God, I am exposed. I mean, the Bible teaches very clearly, you and I are made to be attached to God. And the only other alternative is to be enslaved to self. 
And it's a very tumultuous existence that we live in, and that is the nature of our old self. So Paul says um, in, in chapter 6, when he, he describes the old self, he's explaining that, it, that we are seeking to die from the old self. We're seeking to be dying to that reality. What's going on? So we're going to move on to this idea of new nature coming from death. The new nature that we, come, that we get in Christ starts with dying. Doesn't that sound strange? Why would I need to die in order to live? In the garden, remember here is Adam and Eve. And do you ever, you know, the, everyone talks about the very first mention of the gospel. And it's true. It's Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion. God shows up in the garden, which many scholars would say is a pre-incarnate Christ. He is in the garden with Adam and Eve. They've hidden themselves, and he proclaims the the effects of the fall, and he tells the serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And he's talking about Jesus. But what's easy to miss is before that even happened, God provided something for Adam and Eve. They were naked. They had fig leaves. Fig leaves make a very poor covering, and so he actually takes animal skins. So the first death, in the Bible, that these animals would be crucified and, and killed, which had to be shocking to Adam who named them, and their skins are put on their body so that they would not feel ashamed. That is what the new nature begins to look like. So when Jesus is offered to us in the gospel, we can't come to it with any rejoicing or any actual sense of encouragement or reality if we don't understand the, that we needed to be covered. So before we even move forward, I think the question is, do you see your need to be covered? And I'm talking, remember, now non-Christians, maybe you're sitting there going, I don't think I'm that bad of a person. I'm leaving you alone. But Christians, do you think you need the covering of Christ? Or do you feel like you've got it together? One of the most dangerous positions to be in is in a religious setting where you think your religious behavior is somehow making you right with God. Right? So what is it that's cleaning you? What is it that you're using to feel good before the Lord? And what Paul tells us in Romans 6 is that it's our union with Christ to his death that sets us free. Let's look at that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So what Paul is doing is he's talked about the gospel for a few moments. Uh, in chapter 5, and he's basically explained it so beautifully that the response he's anticipating is someone saying, that's awesome. I received Jesus without having to do anything, which is true. Therefore, what makes that so awesome is that now he's anticipating this this argument. I can then go on sinning. It's actually an antinomian argument. That means anti-law. I now can just shed the law and do whatever I want, and I'm okay. Grace will abound. Is that what you're saying, Paul? And Paul says, by no means. And why would he say that? Because the person who's speaking like that has no idea of, of the futile ways they're living in. Right? So thinking about the old man and the new man, think about a pair of shoes, for example. Um, I was thinking about, if, I, if you buy a new, I mean, I know women, it's different. You have shoes for every event. So maybe for men, I don't know. 
But, but if you have a pair of shoes that's new, maybe as a kid, that's even a better time period, and you have the old sneakers, your old shoes, what do you do when it's raining out? Put the old shoes on, right? But are they your old shoes? No, they're just the shoes you don't wear as much. You like those better. They're not old. It's not this old or new. It's not that they've been thrown away. It's that you use them when you don't want to get the new ones tarnished, right? But they're still your shoes. And as long as your feet are in those shoes, those are your active shoes. Does that make sense? Is that weird? Is that coming across? Someone help me. So, so in other words, when he talks about the old self and the new self, it's not that one ceases to exist. It's that whichever one we're obeying is the one that's active in the moment, right? So, so what the gospel is teaching us is that Christ has come, he's died and been raised, and, and we've, been, we've died with him and we've been raised with him, and we have a new nature, right? But what we do is we typically live out of our old nature, even though it's no longer what has power over us, right? We have this new nature, but we ought to live out of the old nature. And the reason we do that is we don't recognize the fact that we've died to sin. How does that work? So Paul talks about in chapter 7, the law, right? What are your laws? The old nature, the absolute operating system language of the old nature is laws. Everybody in this room operates their entire life according to a set of laws. No doubt. I do it, you do it, we all do it. Someone walks by and they don't smile, how does that make you feel? Oh, they didn't smile, what just happened, right? That was some sort of internal law, right? That if they don't, that I didn't even know I had that rule. But when they didn't smile, last time they smiled, now I feel they must hate me, and your mind just starts going down all the ways and reasons they might have done that. Does that make, there's a law. I've already talked about being late. Maybe it's appearance, right? Shane mentioned earlier that this one person he talked to at a coffee shop, the sets of rules and laws they followed. The point is, not that we shouldn't have rules and laws, right? We need to be on time in a civil society. We need to have dress codes and all these things. But when it makes us become undone, right? Whenever, when they're broken, it exposes us. We become bothered. We become angry. We become anxious. It shows that our identity is beginning to be built on those rules, right? And the law has now stepped outside of itself and become the thing we follow. And so when, when Paul tells us that we've died to sin, it's interesting in Galatians, Paul almost equates sin and law as the same thing, or the, our sin and flesh as the same thing. Our flesh, our sin, is bound up in trying to justify ourselves, but when Paul says you've died to sin in Christ, what he's saying is all of a sudden the gates have been opened and you've been set free. Right? Have you, I, I don't... Have you ever taken a final, college students especially? I remember in seminary I took a final, and I had studied so hard, I almost got sick. I, I walked away, and I don't even know how I did on it, but I just felt free. Anyone know that feeling? It's over. I'm never going back into that, and it starts to set in. I'm never going in that classroom again. Maybe I'll never see that professor again. Um, that, that sense of freedom that comes when the regulations have been taken off. So my question to you is, what kind of regulations are you putting on yourself? How are you seeing yourself? What's your identity? Have you been set free? Paul tells us that we have a passive righteousness. What that means is that the righteousness of Jesus has been applied to you, just like the skin coverings in the garden. Now it's Jesus. And all of a sudden, 
The new credentials you have hanging around your neck are the credentials of Christ. Have you ever had a backstage pass or maybe you've gone, I remember we went to an OSU game and we had this, we could go anywhere we wanted to get food. And it was like, I just have to have this thing. And now they're handing me food and smiling at me. And up in the, um, up in the someone help me, the suites, that's where Matt lives. I got to go one time. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. But, you know, you're just walking around like, I think I'll have one of those. And you hold up your credentials. Jesus is our credentials, right? But what we do is we hide that credential and we try to earn ourselves over and over our own righteousness. And so Paul is saying you have been set free from that by the death of Christ. But then he also does this amazing thing where he says you've also been made alive in Christ. Listen to verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What would that look like for you to be raised with Christ, in your union with Christ, to, to actually live as if you were raised with Christ? What would that look like for you? Have you ever even considered what sort of behaviors you would engage in and, and what sort of disciplines you would have? I certainly have. I assume I would, I would wake up earlier than I probably do and I'd have more lengthy, quiet times and I'd probably say nicer things to people and when I felt criticized, I would probably not retaliate with criticism. And, and those are the ways I imagine it looking. Does that sound pretty good? Wouldn't you all like a pastor who didn't criticize you back? Wouldn't that be great? Unfortunately, everything I just said is motivated by the flesh. It's all motivated by my desire to clean myself, to cover myself. In the Bible, Paul, in, in every place he talks about it, or the Bible talks about righteousness, it's talking about being raised in Christ. So the question for you is this. Are you trying to have Jesus, in your mind and heart, remove your old nature, or, and hopefully somehow become a better person along the way, or are you trying to be identified in Christ and not yourself at all? Do you see the difference? Are you trying to be identified by your behaviors? Thanks to Jesus. Thank you. I do these things. My quiet time, my, my everything, my demeanor, whatever it is, my presence, whatever. Or are you trying to just live on the credentials of Christ? Because that is what it means to be raised with Christ. You no longer identify yourself as yourself. You identify yourself in Christ. You, the Puritans used to say this. The point Paul is making is that you can't have half of Christ. See, a lot of us want to die with Christ, justification by faith. For those of you that want the technical theological term, that's where I've been justified by Jesus. But we don't want to be walking with Christ. We want to be justified by Christ, but walking in our own effort. We assume that if we are justified by Christ, Somehow, he should have wound us up like a toy, set us on the right path, and said, good luck, buddy. I'll come around every now and then to see how you're doing. That's what we think it looks like. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is that he, you are now in a mystical union with Jesus. How, have you all ever tried to study the Trinity? Can you try to explain to me how, where, where the Holy Spirit ends and where Jesus begins? And have you ever tried to say... You know, Jesus is in your heart. Well, 
not Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And you kind of get tripped up because it's kind of both and, right? It's very mysterious. Or how about the new two natures of Christ? A lot of heresies have come out because either we don't want to make him fully God because he is fully man, or the other side of the heresy would be he's fully God, but he can't be fully man. It's a very difficult theology to talk about how Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man. Well, we blow it on those areas a lot theologically, but we really blow it on our new nature. We try to go, well, uh, I know that Jesus is kind of in me somewhere, and I'm supposed to be maybe in him, but the scriptures are clear that your new nature is a mystical union, and you are in union with Christ. And there is no place where he does not dwell. And there is no part of your new nature that isn't Christ. And you're caught up in Christ, and that is your new identity. We just heard uh, this, the, the kids explain that the old has gone and the new has come in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Is that your view of the resurrection? And if so, or if not, what are we doing? Why is it not our view? And if so, how can we walk in that way regularly? And how can we live in that reality? I want to draw our attention to three verses in, in Romans 6. Verse 4, I've already read, we, we were buried with Christ that we may walk in newness of life. Also in verse 8 he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Right? We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. For for, For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And in verse 11, So that also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Over and over Paul says, In Christ Jesus. And this morning at our sunrise sermon, Shane did, or sunrise service, Shane did a great job looking at Romans 8, and we also had this as our assurance, where Paul says, he's building the same argument. Listen to what he says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So how are we in union with Christ? By our belief? Is that how you're a Christian? Have you ever had to try to answer, what makes you a Christian? Well, I believe in Jesus. Is that, is that it? Or even the term Christian was a derogatory term in the, in the New Testament. What makes you a Christian? Paul says it very clearly. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, verse 9 of Romans 8, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, isn't that interesting? He's switched from the Spirit to Christ. There you have it right there. If he is in you, through his Spirit, right? Although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Do you believe you've been raised with Christ? So, how do we live with this? what What do we do? What is the prescription? How do we live this life of faith? In verse 11, Paul says something that I missed and I kept missing until I don't know what reading I was on. But listen to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word for consider is a very powerful word. It, it, it Almost when you just read that, it's sort of like just kind of assume or think. We kind of downplay it. It's an accounting term. If someone said, show me your financials and you, had, you were being audited and you and you had the accounting, you'd, look, you'd present these facts as truth. Here's what's true about me, right? 
If you're ever nervous about your finances, you look at the ledger and you go, okay, that's what's true. Paul is saying, even though your flesh is trying to convince you that you're to go out and live on your own endeavors, be them seemingly okay or not, count yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. In other words, preach the gospel to yourself. Take your heart and open it up. And what, is that, what does that assume? He is assuming, and this is the point of this entire discussion, he is assuming that your default every morning and my default is to go back to the flesh. That doesn't mean you're going to wake up and try to go become a raging drug addict every single morning, though that may be true. Or that you're going to go off and try to just do the craziest sin ever. It means your default every morning is to look in that mirror and be autonomous. It's just you and me, buddy. We've got this together. That's our default. If we don't go back to the gospel and count ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ, what we are going to be doing is living out of the flesh. So practically, what does that look like? It looks like acknowledging the, the realities of our life where we are doing this and repenting. When I bring up the word repentance, most of the time what goes through my mind and I think through others' minds is I did this sin <clears throat> and I need to say I'm sorry to Jesus and then I'm going to stop sinning. And that's not repentance. Repentance is, okay, I did this sin but I did it because of this. I yelled because I like control. And someone took away my control. So, I, so that's the sin beneath the sin. And the reason I like control is because I'm always trying to justify myself. See, I go through this world in the flesh where I need everyone to go according to what I want so I feel right. When the world's going the way I want it to, I feel right. Do you see how you're going sin beneath the sin? And you're getting to your final core and you realize at my core, at least at that moment in time, I lived as if God did not exist. Or even worse, I was trying to alienate him from my life. That is repentance. That's painful. You know what that feels like? What do you think that feels like? Death. That's why repentance is dying to self. Dying to self doesn't just mean, you know, just do a couple extra push-ups, you know, spiritually speaking. It's a CrossFit spiritual experience. Let's do a little extra that would be great. What, the, what dying to self means and what Paul is telling us we are doing is we're dying to all of our urge to be autonomous and separated from God. And you can tell when you've repented, when you emerge and you say, Jesus, you are my righteousness, and I don't know what that's going to look like. I might lose my job. Maybe that relationship isn't going to improve like I hope. Maybe my illness isn't going to be gone. Or maybe that person isn't going to be healthy or saved or whatever. But Jesus, all I want is you. That is a resurrection life. Is that your hope? Is that what you're after? Jesus. Or are you after a life that looks good here and you're not really sure what's going to happen after you die? So Christians, are you living the resurrected life? Non-Christians, do you believe that Jesus, is it that you don't think he was raised from the dead or is it just that you don't care because you're scared to give up control. Because we're all scared. Everyone in this room is every day scared to give up the control of our lives to Jesus. 
but he is the only one that can have the control of our lives. And so the resurrected life is to walk in him in repentance and faith, confessing our sins before him and others and saying, Jesus, you take over and I will walk with you. Let's pray. Father, we are unsure of what it means to repent because most of the time when we repent, we're trying to get a result we like. Most of the time, Lord, when I confess my sin, it's because I feel ashamed and I want that feeling to be moved away. Father, forgive me that my repentance is so shallow. Forgive me that my view of the gospel is not deep enough. That I don't, even though I read these words of Paul and I believe them and I believe your spirit dwells in me, I am so tempted to walk in the flesh, Father. Trying to put on all the outward appearances of a good pastor, of a good Christian, of a good father, of a good husband, of a good member of society. But Lord, inside, that leads to death. It leads to insecurity. It leads to fear. So Jesus, I pray that you would help me to repent and walk with you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would help them to, as we come to the communion table, realize that these elements show that we are in union with you, Christ. That your Holy Spirit dwells in us and we are new and different. And Father, for those that are here that are not Christians, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open their eyes. That you are not harsh. What is harsh is trying to live this world autonomously. What is difficult is trying to go it alone. Gathering alliances along the way that will constantly fail us. Jesus, we need your spirit to open our eyes, to walk in newness of life with you. In your name we pray. Amen.